Well, uh, I am excited to take us through a new series over the next month that we are simply calling Reset. Reset. I know that you know that the whole world is longing for a reset. The last 18 months have been more than challenging. In fact, I would be so bold to say that I do not know a single person who is not longing for a reset. And as we think about a reset in life, I would describe it this way, a life that is full and free. This is what we all long for. We are all tired of wearing masks. We are all tired of social distancing. Most of all, we're tired of people being hospitalized and dying from COVID-19. We are longing for a reset. And if you're anything like me, you probably think about the concept of reset, uh, maybe most closely associating that with your laptop. Anyone just, I say reset, you think laptop? Well, uh, according to Techopedia, I don't, do we have any card-carrying members of Techopedia here today? Don't be ashamed. Raise your hand if you, if you love technology I'm talking about. Not like really Techopedia, but like you love technology. You know all about it. Okay. Why are you guys ashamed? Like it's, it's okay. We love you. We appreciate you. You keep our lives running. Okay. You are amazing people. Uh, so according to Techopedia, listen to this about the value of a reset. Uh, laptops need to be reset to fix malfunctioning applications, solve problems of slowness in the device, fix incorrect settings, or resolve minor application or software-related problems. Listen to this. It can often help. Don't forget this, okay? It can often help where the device appears frozen or is running ineffectively. Have you ever needed a reset? Now, something also tells me that if you're anything like me, that it has probably been a while since you reset your laptop. I mean, just, I'll just take you into my world. I'm working until, you know, the, the, the clock strikes five or whatever that last task that I have to do. And then what I do is because I'm so ready to get off work, so ready to see my family, I just shut my laptop and off I go. And, and what I discovered this week is that uh, you can actually, uh, on, on I think almost any laptop, you can see the last time that you hit a reset. So on my MacBook, I just go to app, uh, the little Apple on the top left, hit about this Mac, click system report there, and I scroll down to software and bam, at the bottom of this little uh, you know, menu, it says time since boot, 16 days, 55 minutes. <laughs> 16 days and 55 minutes. I mean, who else is like me? You just, you just shut it, open it, shut it, open it. Come on. You, come, thank you very much. I knew it. I knew I was not alone here this morning. And, and listen, why, why do we, thank you, why do we 
simply just keep the laptop running without hitting a reset. This is, this is why. It's not because we don't want our laptops running at peak performance, but it is because we do not yet feel the pain of software running slow and not being able to get the things that we need to done quickly, done quickly, or that annoying cursed cursor that starts to spin around like a rainbow. And then I'm like, you know, and just like, if our laptops could talk, they would probably say like, you need to go to anger management, right? Because it's just so frustrating. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, I need to reset my laptop. The question I want to ask you today is this. How is your operating system running? And of course, you already know, I'm not talking about your laptop or your phone or whatever device may be in need of a reset. I'm talking about the operating system of your soul. If I were to ask you these questions, what would be your response? Do you feel spiritually vibrant, sluggish, or somewhere in between? When it comes to your daily pursuit of God, are you passionate, apathetic, or somewhere in between? When it, when it comes to how greatly you are influencing people because the love of Christ is in you and flowing out of you, are you making a major or minor difference in the lives of people or somewhere in between? The question I'm driving at today is this. How great is your need for a spiritual reset. How great is your need for a spiritual reset? Listen, only you can answer this question. How great is your need for a spiritual reset? We see a man named Thomas who was in great need of a spiritual reset in John chapter 20. And so as we look at his life today, what I want to do is give you three requirements. These are requirements. I don't believe they're optional. I believe they are requirements if we want to experience a spiritual reset. And we find these from the life of Thomas in John chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. So follow along in your Bibles, on your Bible app, wherever you're pulling up the scriptures as I read these words for us. John writes this. On the evening of that day, let me pause. That day was Sunday. That day was the day when Jesus Christ rose from the dead after he was crucified two days before on Friday. So Friday, one day, Saturday, two days, Sunday, the third day, Jesus rose from the dead and that's what that evening refers to on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, 
Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And then John writes this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. As we look at the life of Thomas, we find the three requirements for a spiritual reset. The first one is this. We need to experience a recognition. The first step for a spiritual reset is recognition. And when I talk about recognition, what I'm talking about is that we need to come to the place where we recognize our current spiritual condition. One thing that I love about Thomas here is that he not only displays exceptional self-awareness, but he is even able to articulate where he is to his friends. We see so clearly in verse 24, it says that, that Thomas, who was not there eight days before, meaning the previous Sunday night, 
once the disciples, his friends, said, hey, we have seen the Lord, and you would think that their level of excitement over seeing the resurrected Christ would be matched in Thomas's heart, and he would have that same level of excitement, but their level of excitement was met by his level of doubt and unbelief. So much so that he says in verse 25, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. We can understand why history has dubbed Thomas as doubting Thomas. The Greek text of verse 25 actually contains a double negative. What, what, what that means is that it reveals how deeply he felt about this report of Jesus being raised from the dead. And we see here with, with the emphatic terms that he says, I will never believe. I'm just not going to believe it. You can say it all you want. You can tell me dozens, if not hundreds of times. But guess what? I am not going to believe you, Peter, James, and John. And we know that Thomas would have represented the common response of any first century Jew. Because no first century Jew expected anyone to go from death to life, particularly on their own terms. Yes, Jews believed in a final resurrection when the Messiah would come back and set up God's kingdom on earth, but they did not expect that until the very end of the age. And for Thomas, he had not seen any evidence of that yet. So he is saying, there is no way. I saw Jesus, my, my leader and my closest friend. I saw him crucified two days ago. I will never believe you. But before we go on perpetuating the label that Thomas has carried for a couple millennia, perhaps we should take a closer look at his life. And we can do that by zooming out just a little bit because I have this sneaky suspicion. If any one of us could interview Jesus today and ask him, hey, tell us a little bit about doubting Thomas, he would say, Thomas who? Oh, 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 I get it. Uh, you call him Doubting Thomas because of those moments after uh, my resurrection. But let me tell you something about Thomas. Before Thomas was Doubting Thomas, he was Devoted Thomas. This is the same Thomas who left everything to follow Jesus for three years. This is the same Thomas who heard the teaching of Jesus day after day after day. The same Thomas who saw Jesus walk on water and heal the sick. This is the same Thomas who was sent out by Jesus himself and was casting out demons and healing the sick himself because of the authority that Jesus had given him. And this is the same Thomas who a little more than a week before, when Jesus' friend Lazarus had died and he, Jesus said, we're going to toward Jerusalem so that I can heal him. And the disciples start telling Jesus, Jesus, you can't go there because the religious leaders, they want to kill you. And if you go there, they're probably going to take you out. And Thomas, 
in verse 16 of chapter 11, it says this about him. So Thomas called the twin, the same Thomas, see that? So Thomas called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Before Thomas was ever doubting Thomas, he was devoted Thomas. And I just want to speak into somebody's life this morning because if if Jesus were here and Thomas were here, they would say, hey, listen, don't let anyone take one moment of your life, one mistake in your life and label you for life. You are not your worst moment nor your greatest moment. You are who I say you are. You are loved by me. You are mine. You have unlimited potential because you are made in my very image. Don't let anyone label you, Thomas, and don't let anyone label you here today either. Thomas was fiercely devoted before he was fiercely doubting. But as we peer into the story, uh, we can see that this, this reality of devoted Thomas before doubting Thomas helps us understand maybe why he is carrying such a high degree of doubt. Doubt for Thomas was, listen, not simply a theological issue, it was profoundly emotional. You say, well, Tanner, what are you, what are you getting at? This is, this is what I'm getting at. When we ask the question, why is Thomas doubting? We need to understand that Thomas was doubting in part, listen, in part, because Thomas was disappointed. Thomas was profoundly disappointed the crucifixion of his leader, the one he had left everything to follow, left him gutted. And because he is gutted, now he is guarded. Thomas is experiencing from that afternoon on Friday into Saturday and Sunday and through the next week, even after he's heard a report that Jesus rose from the dead, listen, he is paralyzed by shock. And grief. His soul was crushed. He's grieving, which probably explains why he was alone the Sunday night before. Listen to these New Testament scholars if you need a little uh, support for the argument here today. F.F. Bruce says this, some people in times of great and desolating sorrow find comfort in one another's company. Others prefer to creep into a corner and be alone with their grief. Thomas belonged to the latter category. Maybe you can identify with Thomas. When life turns you sideways, you need time to process, you need time to get away and just be by yourself and and grieve. This was Thomas. Leon Morris says this, It is possible that Thomas was so shocked by the tragedy of the crucifixion that he did not find it easy to think of its consequences being annulled. Thomas is a classic picture of 
disappointment. Disappointment refers to being discouraged by the failure of one's hopes or expectations. And what did, what did Thomas expect? Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is riding in on this, as we saw a few weeks ago, uh, this, this young uh, donkey's colt, and, and, and he's coming in triumphantly because he is the Messiah. He is the son of David. His kingdom is going to reign forever. He's about to come into the J Jerusalem and set up his kingdom. Not to mention he is the one that he had followed and given his entire life to. Thomas was profoundly disappointed. And there is no doubt that that is part of the reason that he is struggling so significantly in his doubts. And as we look at the life of Thomas, I can't help but know that you, like me, have experienced moments of unmet expectations. Perhaps you are dealing right now in your life with some profound moments of unmet expectations. 9-11 just yesterday reminded us that we live in a troubled, broken world where there are going to be times, whether personal tragedy or national tragedy, we've seen over the last 18 months, just where we're asking God, why? How long? Please change everything that's going on and coming against us. What are the expectations? that you are placing on God right now that he has failed to meet? What, what, what unwritten expectations have you, and maybe it comes out in your prayers, maybe it just, it just floods your thoughts. It's like, God, we talked about this and I thought you were gonna come through, but you haven't and I am disappointing. And perhaps your disappointment has led you to doubt God in some way, shape, or form. Maybe you've isolated yourself, been weighed down by such doubt and disappointment. But the Bible shows us that there's someone who understands right where you are. His name is Thomas. But more importantly, there's someone else. There's someone else who understands your doubt. There's someone else who understands your disappointment. And his name is Jesus. When Thomas recognized his spiritual condition, it paved the way for Jesus' revelation. The second aspect, the second requirement for a spiritual reset is revelation. We find this in verses 26 and 27. It says here, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, now, I don't know about you, but when I read verse 26 and I see those first three words, they grab my attention. 
eight days later. I mean, Jesus has just pulled off the greatest feat in human history by once being crucified on Friday, now being raised from the dead on Sunday, and he shows up to his disciples, and there are only 10 in the room on Sunday night, and he says, hey, look, here I am. I'm alive. You can touch me. You can feel me. I am no longer dead. I am undead. I have been raised to life because I am the resurrection and the life. And yet, Thomas isn't there. And we would think, you know, hey, Jesus, like, how about Monday? If Monday's not early enough, like, Jesus, could you show up on maybe Tuesday? How about, how about Wednesday, Jesus? Like, leaving Thomas in his doubt and disappointment that long? Why not Wednesday, Jesus? But Jesus doesn't always operate on our timetables. Jesus knows that sometimes it's okay. Sometimes it's even good for us to sit in our doubt and our disappointment. Because at times when we wait on God, waiting brings a level of clarity and trust that we may not have been able to experience otherwise. Jesus perhaps wanted Thomas to wrestle and to process and to remember all of the times that they shared together, all of the words that he spoke. Maybe Thomas wanted, Jesus wanted Thomas to question his doubts and to lament his disappointment so that he could do something in his life that he wouldn't have done otherwise if he would have just showed up on Monday. When you are waiting on God, please do not assume that God does not care about you. God sees you, God loves you, and God is still coming after you. It may take eight days or eight years or eight stinking decades, but listen, God has not stopped his love for you. Eight days later, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. And now I love this. It says, although the doors were locked, what does Jesus do? Don't miss these three things. Jesus came, Jesus stood among them, and Jesus said, peace be with you. This is all going on in verse 26, but did we not just see the exact same thing in verse 19? Yes, we did. Look back at verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and Jesus stood among them and Jesus said to them, peace be with you. Jesus meets us right where we are. Maybe that's what you need to hear today more than anything else. Listen, Jesus came to his disciples. He moved toward them. I would ask you this question when it comes to you and your relationship with God. Who is pursuing who? Always in every case, I can make a theological argument that God takes the first step. God is pursuing us before we were ever pursuing him. And we see this after the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus moves toward his 10 disciples. Then he moves toward Thomas. 
And I love this imagery of the doors being locked. Listen, no doubt to primarily emphasize that Jesus in his resurrected state can do whatever Jesus wants to do. This is a miraculous appearance in the room where the doors were locked and no one was supposed to get in. But Jesus says, I'm coming in because I can do whatever I want to do. That's the kind of God I want to follow. But I can't help but see a picture here of of how often we live our lives in our doubt and disappointment where we keep God at arm's length. Where we lock the doors to our minds and our hearts and we say, God, you can come this close but no closer. But Jesus breaks through. Jesus comes through anyway. Listen, no lock can stop his love. No lock can stop his love. That'll preach. Listen, you need to remember. Listen, you can put up any doors, any barriers. You can, you can get 12 locks on the door. Okay, you can put up wall after wall in your compound where you have isolated yourself and you are doubting and you are disappointed and you are discouraged. But listen, Jesus has the power to break through. Jesus came and he stood among them that that phrase stood among them shows, shows us his presence. I want to be with you. I care about you. I am going to stand in your presence and reveal myself again. That just like I said I was the resurrection and the life. Hello, here I am. I am the resurrection and the life. But not only that, Jesus then speaks to them. Because you can't have a relationship without some words, right? So Jesus speaks to them and he says, peace be with you. And you may think, oh, like that's the customary greeting of the Jews. Nothing special about that. Two thoughts. Number one, we need to remember that just hours earlier for the disciples on the first Sunday night, but then also for Thomas, these were the disciples that in Jesus' darkest hour, had utterly abandoned him and denied him. So, so I, I don't know about you, but, but Jesus, I think, has every right to come into the room and say, guys, where were you? What's wrong with you? We, we walked together. You saw, you, you learned. If anyone should have been faithful to me and stood by my side, it was you guys. Where were you? But rather than rebuking the disciples, Jesus says, peace be with you. And this peace is not just the absence of conflict. We think about peace. We think about, you know, like harmony and relation, like we're good. Listen, there's so much more than that. The the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. It refers to the, the world that we long for, the life that we all want. The word shalom gathers up all the blessings of the kingdom of God. As one scholar says, it describes life at its best under the gracious hand of God. 
What is Jesus doing here? Listen, Jesus, once again, is not just meeting them theologically. This is who I am. I said it. The Old Testament prophets prophesied it. And and here I am. No, he's meeting them emotionally as well. And then we get to Thomas. He speaks very personal words to Thomas in verse 27. He says, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. I mean, for all people, not only did Thomas abandon him, but now he has doubted him for a full week. And yet he doesn't walk into the room and shame Thomas. Thomas, the 10 told you a hundred times and you still didn't believe them after all the conversations that we had had. Jesus loves Thomas. Jesus meets Thomas in his doubt and disappointment. I mean, if you close your eyes and picture it, I don't know about you, but when I see this scene in in the upper room where they're hiding out, Jesus has a smile on his face. He uses Thomas's very own words. This shows his supernatural knowledge as God. Thomas, you said that you need to put your finger in my my hand, uh, hands where the nails were. Uh, Here you go. And Thomas, you said you want to put your hand in my side where the spear went into my side when the centurions made sure that I was dead. Well, here you go. And again, we could read this like, oh, Jesus is rebuking Thomas. He's like talking smack. Like, Thomas, you didn't believe. And here's my hands. Here's my side. No. Jesus is saying, Thomas, I know you. Thomas, I see you. Thomas, I love you. Thomas, I want you to walk with me. I want you to believe in me. I will meet you where you are, Thomas, because I love you more than anyone. What a revelation of Jesus Christ. What a revelation of a God of compassion and grace and love. As we put ourselves into the story of Thomas, listen, Here's a a message for all of us. God knows your junk. He knows all of your junk. He knows everything that you've thought, everything that you've done, all the time that you've said, hey, no thanks God, I've got this, or you've kept him at arm's length. Listen, God knows it all, and yet he comes through when the doors are locked, and he says, I want to love you, and I want to walk with you. What an amazing God we can know. This story is just too wild. The first two requirements of a spiritual reset, we need to recognize where we are and then we need, desperately need, a revelation of Jesus Christ. Which then thirdly should hopefully then lead us to the place of repentance. We see a picture of repentance in verse 28. But the last phrase of verse 27 sets it up because the revelation of Jesus wasn't just Jesus showing up and standing in the room. The revelation of Jesus at the end of verse 27 came with a very specific instruction when Jesus told Thomas, do not disbelieve, but believe. Do not disbelieve, Thomas. Don't don't continue in your disbelief. Thomas, move into the place of belief. I am who I said I am. 
and I want you to worship me and love me and walk with me. And Thomas, in verse 28, says this, my Lord and my God. It appears that Thomas doesn't even move over to Jesus to touch the, the nail marks or to put his hand in his side. He doesn't need to. He sees Jesus with his own eyes. He hears the supernatural knowledge of Jesus when he said this about Jesus and Jesus comes in and says that and says, I know you, I love you, I care about you. And in Thomas's declaration, we find no greater statement about who Jesus is in the entire Bible from human lips. My Lord and my God. In the Gospel of John, people have already called Jesus the Son of God and King of Israel, chapter 1. They've called him the Savior of the world, chapter 4. They've called him the Christ in chapter 11. But this, this is the ultimate statement about the identity of Jesus Christ. Merrill Tinney says this, for a Jew to call another human associate, my Lord and my God would be almost incredible. The Jewish law was strictly monotheistic, so the deification of any man would be regarded as blasphemy. And yet Thomas is looking at Jesus and he is saying, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. These words out of Thomas in John chapter 20, verse 28 are echoing the very first words of the gospel of John when John opens his gospel and he starts talking about Jesus and he says, in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. And now we have this confession from human lips. And it's an intense, intensely personal statement of faith. Jesus, you are not just Lord. I hope, I hope you're asking yourself if you've come to the place where Thomas was in this moment of change. That's what the word, word repentance means. Listen, let me back up. Repentance means a change of mind that leads to a change of life. Thomas had a shift in his perspective that then led him to think differently and speak differently and live differently. He says, Jesus, I am looking at you. You are my Lord. You are my God. You're not Lord in a generic sense. That means you're in control over everything. No, you are in control of me. I am living my life for you. Why? Because you made me, you know me, you want what's best for me, and you are going to lead me in that path all the days of my life. And, and, and Jesus, you're not just like God over other gods, and there is no other God, but you are my God and I am going to worship you with everything I've got. This, make no mistake, this is a statement of worship from Thomas, my Lord and my God. When anyone tells you that Jesus never uh, claimed to be God in the New Testament, okay, you can just take them right here to John chapter 20, and Thomas calls him my Lord and my God, and Jesus like, you're dang right, I'm Lord and God. Maybe Jesus didn't say that, but... He, the point is, he accepted it. He, he received it. He received the worship that he was due. And I love verse 29. Jesus says this, for the benefit of everyone that, that the disciples were going to tell about his life, death, and resurrection, 
when he says this, have you believed because you have seen me, Thomas? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus declares a blessing over everyone who does not see with their physical eyes, but sees with the eyes of faith that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that he is who he said he is, that he is the son of God, that he is the savior of the world, that he wants to be your Lord and your God. And the word blessing, it refers to the, the being accepted by God. That's, that's the greatest blessing of, 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 of any blessing is that God welcomes us, that he accepts us, that his face shines upon us in love and pleasure because we belong to him. And so Thomas teaches us this morning that we can come to a place of spiritual reset when we recognize where we are and we see a revelation of who Jesus is as the only Lord and the only God, and we say, Jesus, you are the one that I want to follow, and I am going to commit to follow you all the days of my life. The words of John 20, the story of Thomas, call us to pursue a season of spiritual reset through the revelation of Jesus. Pursue a season of spiritual reset through the revelation of Jesus. And so listen, our music team's gonna come up and they're gonna lead us in a song to respond. But before they do, I just have a few questions for you. Number one, have you recognized your current spiritual condition? Maybe, maybe the best thing that you could do right now is just say, God, help me see where I am with you. Vibrant, sluggish, passionate, apathetic, minor, major influence on people, minor influence. Wherever you are, listen, God wants to take you where he wants you to be. What's your current spiritual condition? Number two, have you seen a revelation of Jesus Christ? Have you seen Jesus for who he is? Have you seen him as the once dead, but now undead, raised Messiah who offers us life, who is the only one who can give us abundant life now and eternal life forever? This is who Jesus is. And if so, then have you come to that place where you are saying, perhaps today for the very first time, my Lord and my God. Or maybe you're saying once again, just as you follow Jesus in a fresh way in this season of reset, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. Whatever it is, I believe Jesus is stepping into our hearts right now. Jesus wants to step into our hearts and he wants to meet us where we are. Do you have doubts today? Do you have disappointments? Has your devotion to Christ been lax because of all of the thousand things going on and just, you know, life and just pushing your, your priority of, of Jesus out of, out of your life to the periphery? Listen, whatever it is, Jesus is wanting to meet you right where you are. He's calling us back to a, a reset with him. 
There's never been a better day than to begin your journey with Jesus than today. There's never been a better day to reset your journey with Jesus than today. And so wherever you are, listen, I want to invite you to bow your head and close your eyes as I lead us in a time of prayer and then we sing. If you need to call out to Jesus for the first time and say, God, I understand that you love me enough to send Jesus to be the sacrifice for my sin, that I don't have to keep you at arm's length anymore, but I can say, yes, Jesus, you are my Lord and my God. Listen, if you need to say that for the first time today to experience life in Christ, let today be the moment of your opportunity. Just cry out to God and say, God, I believe. God, I'm done with living my own way. I want to live for you and and follow your path for my life. If you're doing that for the first time today, I want to just ask you to raise your hand so I can pray for you right now. Anyone in the room that is just saying, hey, today is the day that I'm saying, my Lord and my God, I want to follow Jesus Christ. Raise your hand super high. If you're worshiping online, you can fill out our online connect card that our host will drop in the comment section. And then for all of us, listen, whatever that reset looks like, however the Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart today, God is inviting us to see him in a fresh way again, that he is the resurrected Christ, that he is inviting us into a life where we would say, listen, nothing else matters in comparison to you, Jesus. So God, I pray over every heart right now that is wrestling with where they are and who you are and where you're calling us to go as you invite us to follow Jesus Christ. God, we pray for a reset. We pray for a reset deep within us that will change us from the inside out and lead us to prioritize you above everything in our life that would lead us to love the people around us like you have loved us, not going to them in judgment, but extending joyful invitations because that's who you are. And so God, we ask that you would move in our souls as we respond and worship you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.